This activity is truly unproductive. Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? So let it be written. So let it be done. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for another episode of Storytime. Today's stories are about words and expressions and phrases and things that I find interesting and fun to say. As you probably remember from some of the other episodes, I've always been a reader, I've always been a fan of words, I've always been a fan of language and the turn of phrase and the artful use of verbiage. I had to get around to an episode talking about some of my favorite words and phrases. Of course I did. So that's what this is about today. Now, this is kind of a random collection of words and phrases that I've either investigated over the years or that I've investigated recently because they caught my attention, they caught my interest, they caught my eye. And that's what I do. I'm a nerd this way. I'm always interested in new things. I'm always interested in learning. I'm always interested in expanding my horizons. That's why I have a head full of trivia and useless knowledge. Why I'm always everybody's favorite partner on Trivial Pursuit Night. But why I also make people crazy. Because I remember this stuff and it makes them nuts. I have this accumulated knowledge of words and wisdom in my head and I can't get rid of it. So I'm going to share some of it with you today. Now as I said, I always liked words and phrases and Interesting sounding things have always appealed to me, like the two words that I put in the title to this episode, poppycock and balderdash. Those are fun words to say, aren't they? Poppycock. That's cool. I like that. That's an old word that we don't use hardly at all anymore, and I think we should bring that back. That's poppycock. Can't you hear that in those old movies from the 30s and the 40s? Oh, that's poppycock. And we know what it means. It means nonsense, rubbish. Blather. These are all the usual terms we associate with what poppycock is. But me, being the language nerd that I am, I actually had to dig into what exactly poppycock is, and it's really kind of interesting to me, maybe to you. Poppycock is actually derived from a 19th century Dutch term. And in the Dutch, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Dutch, but it's similar to poppycock. But the Dutch term means soft dung. And when you think about it, poppycock nowadays is nonsense, rubbish, useless information. In other words, bullshit. Poppycock means bullshit, which is what it always meant. It's just now okay to say that poppycock means bullshit. So now you have a reason to use poppycock. It's much nicer and cooler sounding, in my opinion, than bullshit. Poppycock makes you sound elegant. Well, that's poppycock, my good man. I think you should try to work that into your into your vocabulary. The other one that I love is Balderdash. Now, there's a game out there called Balderdash, and it's a it's a word game that involves making up words and phrases for people to believe or not to believe. But the term Balderdash actually means senseless talk or senseless writing. And me, being the word nerd that I am, I actually dug into this. And I dug into this years ago because I was trying to figure out, well, what the hell is balderdash? Now, I remember some of this stuff, but I've, I've looked up some of this stuff in the spirit of full disclosure. I've looked up some of the stuff to refresh myself on it. And I, as I read this definition, I go, oh, yeah, 
Balderdash comes from the 1600s, believe it or not. It's, it's a phrase that was used to describe a combination of liquids. Weird, right? Balderdash and a combination of liquids, but that's where it comes from. Now, some sources say it described beer mixed with wine, which is disgusting. Some say it's beer mixed with buttermilk, which is even more disgusting. But it became to be associated with the mixing of frothy and bubbly liquids. And as a result, somehow it became associated with frothy, bubbly language. Senseless talk. Useless talk. Now, no one knows why. And to me, that's one of the cool little mysteries of language. You have this word, it developed somewhere 500 years ago, but no one knows exactly why. And yes, that's the word nerd in me. I'm curious, but that's one of the things we'll never know. We'll never know where that came from. And that's where my imagination kicks in. And that's why I love this stuff. Because I try to imagine how Balderdash became associated with language. So I picture these two guys sitting in an old bar somewhere drinking their frothy mix of beer and buttermilk. Ew. Talking about balderdash. And one guy says something stupid. And the other guy says, That's as bad as this horrible drink that I'm drinking. Well, that's balderdash. It could have happened that way, sure. And it caught on, sure. But that's why I'm always interested in this kind of thing, because my imagination runs wild, and I start coming up with these backstories. Because I like to know why things happen, where they come from. How did this get to be the way it is? Now, a word we do know where it came from is one of my favorite words from my Twitch stream. And that's the word chum. For those who don't regularly visit the stream, we have decided to revive the word chum. Why? Because. (laughs) Because we want to. There are a lot of words for friends and pals and buddies. But the word chum was very, very popular in the early part of the 20th century, but it's been around for longer than that. Now, this is one that I recently looked up because I really wanted to know the derivation of the word chum because I think it's a fun word. It's a great word to use for friends. And that's what we call each other in my Twitch stream. We're all chums. It comes from our remembering book titles from the early 20th century. And one of my favorites was the Hardy Boys, The Missing Chums. Chum means friend, pal, good friend, a close friend. But I looked this up. It actually comes from the 17th century. Way back in Oxford University, it was a slang term that they used to describe a roommate. Now, chum is short for chamber fellow. Chamber fellow was a roommate at Oxford University. And chum is an alternate spelling of cham which is the first four letters of Chamber Fellow. Now, here's where it gets interesting to me. And again, I apologize. The word nerd in me finds this fascinating. I discovered that in the late 17th century, people had a fondness for clipped words. In other words, abbreviations. In other words, the same exact thing we do these days. How many times have you heard somebody say, whatever, instead of whatever? or bay instead of baby, or any of the innumerable abbreviations you've heard on the internet, on Twitter, on YouTube, wherever you hear it, people clip words now. They've been doing this for 400 years, and that's where the word chum comes from. It's a clipped word and an abbreviation for chamber fellow. 
So if you want to take it upon yourself to say, well, these kids, they don't use full words anymore. It's always been this way. We always, we've always clipped words and chum is a prime example of it. Chum means friend and it comes from your friendly neighborhood roommate back in Oxford University. And you can thank the teenagers from the 17th century for clipping the phrase chamber fellow down to chum. Now, in addition to just words, there's phrases and old sayings that have always fascinated me. Now, I learned a long time ago that the phrase knock on wood, you've heard that knock on wood. It's for good luck. Now, I knew for whatever reason since childhood that knock on wood was an old superstition that meant you were knocking on wood to awaken the spirits inside the tree. Now, how do I know that? Somewhere along the line, I read in some of those old stories about ancient civilizations that people believed that the spirits of nature lived in the environment around us, whether it was the trees or the rocks or the river. And so the good spirits in the tree, you would want them on your side. So you would knock on the tree, knock on wood to wake them up, to get them to be on your side. That's where knock on wood comes from. But in preparing for this episode of the podcast, I actually did a little research and a lot of different people, a lot of different religions claim credit for the phrase knock on wood. Now, my understanding is the original meaning, which is knocking on trees to release the guardian spirits to help you in whatever your endeavor was. That's the original meaning of it. But the Irish, for instance, have claimed that they invented knock on wood because you would knock on a tree to thank a leprechaun for their help, according to the Irish. Early Christians have tried to take credit for knock on wood, saying it was a reference to the cross upon which Jesus was crucified. Knocking on wood was a way to connect with Christ and recognizing his fate on the cross. Now, during the Spanish Inquisition, the Jews developed an elaborate system of knocking on the wooden doors, to ensure their safe entrance and exit from synagogues. If one knocked on the wood properly, it was safe to go into or exit the synagogue. Now, it's interesting that everybody has their own origin tale for a phrase that seems to have its origin predating all of those. But everybody brings to the table their own basis for why something exists or why it doesn't exist. And knock on wood clearly has something to do with luck, whether it's exiting or entering a synagogue, or whether it's connecting with Christ, or whether it's bringing on the blessing of the spirits of the trees, or wishing for luck from the leprechauns, you're always knocking on wood for something good. And everybody brings their own story to why that's so. That's one of the interesting things about language to me. It's subject to interpretation and development as the years go by. Another phrase that started back in the 1800s, which means getting down to business, always intrigued me. We're going to get down to brass tacks. I always wondered why, why we said that. Why do we say we're getting down to brass tacks? So I did some digging on that one too. And that one comes from back in the days when you would buy fabric from the local retailer. Now what they did in order to measure fabric was they had brass tacks on the counter where you would check out. And the brass tacks were exactly one yard apart. And when you were buying fabric to make your clothes, because back in the 18th century, that's what people did. They'd buy fabric and make their own clothes. To measure it off, you would use the brass tacks on the counter. So why is getting down to business 
known as getting down to the brass tacks. That means the person checking out at the retailer was ready to buy their stuff, including the fabric, which they would then measure on the brass tacks. Interesting little tidbit, isn't it? Obviously, they don't do that anymore, but that's where the phrase, let's get down to brass tacks, comes from. You're getting ready to check out. Let's go measure you on the brass tacks and get you out of here. Now, another phrase that always interested me was the phrase, the dog days of summer. And I always thought the dog days of summer referred to the fact that it was so damn hot that even the dogs didn't want to do anything. Because dogs are always associated with frolicking and running and playing fetch. And I thought the phrase meant that it was just too hot for even dogs to want to go play. So I had to look it up and find out I was wrong. Not the first time nor the last time. The phrase dog days actually has something to do with the heat and the dogs, but where it comes from is back in the days of the Romans, the dog star, Sirius, was believed to lend its heat to the heat of the days. The Roman dog days, which is when Sirius is the most visible in the sky, is in July and August. So the belief was that the dog star lent its heat to the summer days, and thus the phrase dog days came to exist. It's still too damn hot for dogs to play, but it has nothing to do with the dogs being too hot. It has everything to do with the constellation. How's that for a weird bit of information? Another phrase that appealed to me was letting the cat out of the bag. Why is it letting the cat out of the bag? Why is it letting the dog out of the bag, or the gerbil out of the bag, or the monkey out of the bag? Well, back in medieval times, they sold pigs at live fairs and in open markets. And what the sellers would do to sell the pigs was tie them up in a burlap sack and uh, keep them docile that way because pigs not really patient, not really wanting to stand around. Apparently, back in the day, if you put them in a bag, they would be calmer. But if you were trying to sell somebody a pig and you didn't have a pig, but you wanted to make it look like there was something in a bag the merchants would put a cat in the bag because the cat would move around just like the pig would. And if you weren't careful, you'd wind up buying a cat in a bag instead of a pig in a bag. And letting the cat out of the bag means letting a secret out. So if you let the cat out of a bag before the sale was complete back in these medieval fairs and open markets, you lost the sale. So you never wanted to let the cat out of the bag before the sale was done. That way you could sell your fake pig, and move on. That's where the phrase, letting the cat out of the bag, comes from. Another phrase that comes from the olden days, this goes back to the 1800s in the U.S., is I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Well, why is it always a 10-foot pole? Why isn't it a 9-foot pole? In the early days of this country, a 10-foot pole was the handiest measuring device they had. Why? It came in handy when you were using rafts, or boats along waterways and canals because the waterways were not that deep. You could stand on a raft, you could stand on a boat, and you would use it to pole yourself across a river, across a canal, across an expanse of water. Ten-foot poles were everywhere. So the phrase, I wouldn't touch them with a ten-foot pole, comes from the prevalence of ten-foot poles in the United States. Why you wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole is a totally different phrase, which we're not going to go into because I don't know the origin of why you wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole, except he's a disgusting creature and you don't want to get closer than 10 feet to him. That's the origin of that phrase. But why is it a 10-foot pole? Because everybody had a 10-foot pole. That's where it comes from. 
Now, I'm showing my age on this one. When I was growing up, we used to call a $5 bill a fin. Well, we didn't. Let me rephrase that. I've heard the $5 bill referred to as a fin. Where did that come from? That came from the gangster movies in the 20s and the 30s. The $5 bill was called a fin because fin is short for finif. How do I know this? Because I'm a word nerd. I looked this stuff up. Finif is a word of Yiddish origin, and it means five. And since the late 18th century, fin had been slang for hand because of the five fingers on the hand. And the five fingers on the hand connected it to the $5 bill. So if you've ever heard or if you ever hear of a $5 bill referred to as a fin, now you know why. Now, no list would be complete without at least one food reference. So we have a food reference for these interesting phrases that I love so much. Have you ever heard of a hush puppy? I love hush puppies. Southern fried food. It's really essentially a ball of cornbread rolled up and fried. And it is so good. Now, that's an oversimplification. Cooking a good hush puppy is much more than taking cornbread dough and frying it. But that's a pretty good approximation of what a hush puppy is, if you really want to visualize it. And if you've never had a true southern hush puppy, oh my God, do yourself a favor. Fly south somewhere in the U.S. and order hush puppies. You will not get a bad one. They are so good. But how did they become known as hush puppies? This is one of those weird terms that nobody really knows the origin of. And like some of the other phrases we've talked about, everybody has a slightly different version of where it came from. But here's the general consensus of where the hush puppy name came from. When people used to cook around the open fires in the South, and whether it was the slaves on the plantations or the soldiers or the homeowners or whoever it was, whether it was in colonial times or Civil War times, they would take corn meal, corn pone, corn bread, and cook it on these open fires. And then they would set it alongside the fire on a bench or on a tree branch or somewhere to cool. And the smell of the food cooking and the food cooling would make everybody hungry, including the hunting dogs that were gathered around. And the hunting dogs would start to whine and want some of the food that was being cooked and Almost absent-mindedly, whoever was cooking it would break off a piece of the cornbread or the corn pone and toss it to the dogs. And the flavor was so good, it would settle the dogs down right away. And when they broke off this piece of cornbread and tossed it to the dog, they would say, Hush, puppy! Thus the origin of the name. And now you know. And finally, our last little phrase for this episode of Storytime. It's long in the tooth. You've probably heard it, well, he's getting kind of long in the tooth to be playing football. Well, he's getting long in the tooth to be swimming in the Olympics. Well, he's awful long in the tooth to be working anymore. It means an old person. Now, why does that mean an old person? Well, here's where the origin of that phrase comes from. It comes from the fact that as horses get older, their gums recede and make their teeth look bigger. The teeth don't actually grow. They're not actually getting longer. But as the horse ages and the gum recedes back into its mouth, the teeth look longer. So the longer the teeth look on the horse, the older the horse is. And that phrase has actually been transferred to people. 
Not because their teeth look longer, although they do. If you look around, some old people have some good sets of choppers. But the phrase, long in the tooth, has been transferred to people to show that they're older people. Don't you feel smarter now? I know, I'm a word nerd. I love this stuff. In fact, I'm going to give you a bonus one. Because I love this stuff. And because I love you guys. Here's your bonus one. Cooties. Nobody wanted cooties when we were in grade school, right? Ew, you have cooties. Did you know that cooties are actually really a thing? Cooties comes from a Polynesian word. The word kutu means parasite in Polynesian. And actually, cooties in the U.S. came up after World War I and referred to head and body lice. So, when you were talking about getting cooties as a kid, you were actually talking about the fear of getting lice from somebody that you touched. Which actually happened in this country after World War I and actually still happens in this country. But cooties are a real thing. Seriously. So when you don't want to get cooties from somebody, don't touch them. Yeah, I love this stuff. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for indulging me in my little hobby of studying words and exploring phrases. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. Your support means the world to me. And I couldn't do this without you because you guys listen and I'm happy to do this for you. So thank you. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.